Welcome to the show. You're used to me talking about my cats, but over the last few weeks, you've grown used to Bob Irving and I talking about the Bombers. Well, I'm going to take a break from that today. Instead, we thought, let's bring in someone who knows a little bit more about the Blue Bombers to talk with Bob, and that is the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, Mike O'Shea. So now I turn it over to Bob and Polo Park and Mike for this quasi-version of the coaches' show. So you're saying that Mike O'Shea knows more about the Bombers than I do. Is that what you're saying? No, I said he knows more than I do. <laughs> I'm I, questioning I, you, Bob. No, I, no, I, I think you hit the nail like on you that. like you were, Christian. <laughs> Thanks, Christian. We appreciate it. And uh, hello, everybody. Well, as I said uh, just before the news at 7, if we were not in a pandemic and the season had unfolded as it was planned to unfold, this would be our first coaches show of the year after the Bombers had finished their preseason schedule in Regina on Friday night. And we're looking forward to opening the regular season Saturday in Hamilton. And what a season opener, a great cup rematch. And uh, we don't have all those things to talk about, Mike O'Shea. By the way, Mike and I are in the same studio, but we're socially distanced. Just so you know, we're following all the rules. Where We had you on a couple of weeks ago, Mike. Uh, where are you now in terms of sort of dealing with all this and uh, how it's impacting on, on you and your sport? Well, I think we're in a holding pattern. Um, you know, I think the CFL has done a, a good job um, with their announcements. You know, the first one was that training camps, um, you know, would be postponed. Um, they wouldn't start on time. And, I, you know, I think it's, they do a decent job of not putting all these dates in place because, um, you know, it changes frequently and, and to offer that kind of hope with a date and then keep pushing it back, I think is a little tougher than, mm-hmm. than just waiting till you have good information to give. So, um, yeah, we're in a holding pattern uh, in terms of practicing or, or, or bringing guys in, but we're certainly not in a holding pattern in terms of the amount of work uh, uh, guys are doing the the coaching staff is working really hard, sort of planning for uh, for games, and I know the players have access to playbooks, uh, access to film, so uh, they're I'm sure they're working hard for when their opportunity comes. Well, you're talking about being prepared. You guys will be you'll be prepared <laughs> when when it rolls around in August. Yeah, I think the. What's going to be really special this year when we get to play is when the guys all show up in the locker room. It's you say that you know, every year. Yeah, I, I know, but this one will be different. Yeah, okay. this one will be okay. This one will be really different. Yeah, because of the Grey Cup. Well, because of the, um, you know, just the uh, amount of uncertainty. Mm. You know. Well, there's lots of uncertainty, and I know people want. I see texts all the time and uh, notes on Twitter. Fans would like some sort of plan from the Canadian Football League. And I responded to a guy today and I said, you can't make a plan right now because there's just no way of knowing in September what's going to be available. And I think the league still has some time. I don't think if there's a drop-dead date, it's still a ways off. That's my view. How about you? Yeah, I don't know anything about a drop-dead date. I'm sure they're, they're... We'll have to be one at some point, but I do believe that we do have time right now. The world at large is kind of messed up. I know you're watching it. We're all watching it. We've had some of your players and coaches on our show the last two weeks, Mike, weighing in 
Uh, everybody's disturbed at some of the images they're seeing. I know you're you're a guy who's very worldly and keeps an eye on things. You want to weigh in on what these last few weeks have been like, mostly south of the border. Yeah, I mean, some of the images obviously are extremely tough to watch. I do feel for uh, youth, uh, North American youth, that, that um, you know, that's just, it's thrust in front of them and they're, they're, uh, they're witness to, you know, a, a horrific act that uh, young people shouldn't be witness to, <laughs> you know, so uh, they grow up way too quick, but... Um, obviously, uh, I believe this will bring about uh, much-needed change, um, and it's unfortunate that this has had to happen. Not unfortunate, it's tragic that this has had to happen um, to precipitate this change, but um, I'm excited to be a part of it. How are you filling your days, aside from watching more film than any set of eyes can handle? Uh, well, I take a break <laughs> from that too. So yeah, you can only watch so much. Yeah, video. So what I do. So uh, what what filled my we we met as a the defensive staff met uh, as they do um, on Monday mornings at eight thirty and watched a couple hours of film on on an opponent and the guys made notes. Um, do that again Wednesday and Friday, and then uh, I went and got some. Some roasted coffee, some good beans to make some cold <laughs> brew from uh, from my guy in Headingley, and um, then I looked at some downspouts, trying to replace a couple downspouts. Hung a mirror, fixed my front door. <laughs> I had my na- some neighbors walk by and yell, "Get to work!" I'm carrying a big load of wood. They said, "Get to work!" I said, "Yeah, that's what I'm doing." He said, "No, get to real work." Yeah, these are all jobs you'd have your wife doing if you were playing football, right? Well. <laughs> See, these are the jobs that would just sit there for three years if we were playing football. I can relate to them mm-hmm. sitting there for three years. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, Kubi Kid is on the line. We uh, welcome your phone calls. If you have any questions or thoughts for Mike, and if you want to talk about the Great Cup last year, that's fine too, 780-6868. And you can text us, of course, at the same number. This is the uh, sports show, and it's the coaches show on 680 CJOB. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Sports Show. And tonight, the Coaches Show, Mike O'Shea, is here to take your calls and texts. And uh, waiting on the line, and a guy I know went to the Grey Cup game last year and had the time of his life is the Kubi kid. And why wouldn't he be the first one up? Go ahead, Coop. Boy, it's hard not to get emotional, Bob. Um, thank you, though, uh, Master Legend, for uh, all your years of service and to... Uh, CJOB 68 for the outstanding coverage that you provide us. And as for you, uh, O'Shea, 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 <laughs> buddy, it took you six years. What were you doing? I what? I ask myself that question all the time, Kubi. What the heck was I doing? Jeez, I'm so proud of you. You you would be, like you're an absolutely outstanding players coach. You have supported your coaching staff, especially what happened to Richie. Uh, it was so unfair, but I'm so proud of you for sticking down your coaching staff, your players. You don't put people under the bus. And I knew you were going to do it, 
it took you it took you four years longer than I thought it was going to take. But uh, <laughs> I couldn't get down on the field in the old chariot to give you a hug. But I'm going to be good next when I see you. Watch out, buddy. Uh, I'm hugging you. I got one for you, buddy. Don't worry. It's uh, I'm just so proud of you guys and proud of the team, the organization, people like Carol Barrett, and all the lifers that have been there, uh, right through to the bomber store. I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm still euphoric. And what is it? Eight months, seven, eight months later. I mean, I had to break out of the big uh, hospitable to get there. <laughs> and Bob knows what happened. I went right back in again. You can write a book about what happened, uh, Coop, to get to the Great Cup. But uh, carry on, and we'll give you another minute here to talk to the coach, and then we're going to move on, if you don't mind. Thank you, Bob, very much. And uh, I just want to say to all the Bomber fans out there, regardless of when we get this season going, everybody, it's sheer dominance at the Great Cup. And let's bring all that momentum back to the season. Let's support this team for what they've done to bring all these players back. And when we get a chance to see that flag and that coup de gray come, baby, it is going to be Rock City. So thank you, Coach, and thank you very much there, living legend. <laughs> all right, Cam, thanks for the call. You take care of yourself, okay? Thanks, Kubi. Thanks, guys. Take care. Kubi Kid, he's a long time, and I mean a long time Bomber fan, and there aren't many that wear the blue and gold prouder than he does. Steve, you're on with Mike O'Shea. Go ahead. Coach, I have a question, and if you choose not to answer it, I totally understand that. Heading into the, the Grey Cup, you guys were anywhere from five to seven eight-point underdogs. Um so prior to the game, whether it was the night before or the hours before or maybe the week leading up to it, what did you say to the team? Did you say, did you use the fact that you were underdogs as bulletin board or did you just sort of stick to the X's and O's and leave it at that? Yeah, I, I pretty well stick to the script. I, I don't I don't think I've ever um, tried to, you know, give the guys – any material, uh, especially from the media or guys setting lines. I mean, I, I think that's really irrelevant to to our guys. Um, I'm not naive. I'm sure there's some players that would use that as motivation or have used that in the past as motivation, but I, I would never have talked about it, and I don't think in six years I've ever talked about what the betting line might be, whether we're favored or underdogs. Um you know, and and certainly, pretty well. Whatever whatever messaging got us to the Grey Cup or got us through the the first couple of playoff games is is really what I stuck with. There's no no point in changing it. The guys are ready. They they had a. I've said this before. They had a whole season, um, and some of them many seasons. But this particular team had a whole season to learn from from every game and every situation that prepared them quite well for for what they were about to face. You were underdogs in the game, and I can tell you this is from a media perspective and a lot of football people who were in Calgary too. They were virtually all picking Hamilton to win uh, because of their 15-3 and record. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, you know, the term underdog. I can't remember even knowing that or think like hearing it or thinking it. I can't remember even thinking of a point spread or... I wouldn't even have known what the reporters um, prognosticated, right? So mm -hmm. when when he said we were five to eight point under anywhere from five to eight point underdogs, 
you know, whether you believe me or not, it's like the first I've heard of it. Because we just wouldn't have thought that way. Yeah. I know you wouldn't. Well, it would have never even entered. I don't even think that idea would have even entered our minds, you know? Yeah. Yeah, we've talked to a bunch of your players, and uh, they knew that they were perceived that way. But, as you say, they, they didn't think that way themselves. No. They knew the the outside noise, quote unquote. Uh, you said during the week in Calgary, it was after the the final practice. You said your players were like wild colts, and you were having a hard time sort of reining them in. Did you? And you and I have talked about this a million times over the years. How can you tell if your team's ready? And you've said so many times you can't. But did you have a feeling the day before at that workout? Yeah, I think it was day three, or. I'm not sure, day three or day four, day three, probably in the the, ten, the, the day that it warmed up. Mm-hmm. It warmed up nicely. The sun was shining, and and the guys were just flying around. Um, so that kind of energy is nice. You don't want them to, to you know, the, one of the challenges might be that they burn all that energy. It's too early, right? Mm-hmm. But they still had time to recover. So it was fun to see. I mean, it was... Um, you know, it's my first time as a as a head coach in a great cup. So to witness that was was pretty neat. And to um as as you said, Bob, we've talked about this many times. A lot of times what happens in the practice week is you know, doesn't dictate what's gonna happen in a game. Yeah. And then you start the game well, but again, you've been through a million games as a coach or a player where you get off to a good start, get a big lead or fall behind. And you know, there's still a long way to go. But did you have any different feeling in the Grey Cup game when you started so well and could see that your guys were, man, were they focused? Yeah, I, th- I thought we were doing quite well at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Mm. So uh, I had a very good feeling fairly early on in the game. I would have liked to have had a few more points off those uh, off those takeaways early like mm. I would have liked to have stretched the lead a little more early because Hamilton's extremely explosive and um you know I, I mean that play Mike Jones makes down on our goal line on that bomb to Mike Jones from Hamilton mm-hmm. yeah. and he just bats the ball out of his hands at the last uh at the last second um you know those things change games right so change in our favor kept kept our lead um you know, against a team like Hamilton, I don't know if you ever think you've got enough enough points on the board, but I I really felt pretty early on that our guys up front on both sides of the ball were getting after it pretty good. What's the best thing that's happened since you won that Grey Cup? Could you point to one thing that's happened that has pleased you the most? You've won Grey Cups before. This is nothing new for Mike O'Shea. Your first as a head coach. And then we had all the celebration and all the, just the the way the fans reacted here. Is, yeah, is there, I, think, I think they're all new. I think yeah. each one is new. Yeah. You know, because as a head coach, right? Well, I, everyone is seems different mm-hmm. for its own reasons. You know, I mean, all the, you know, you're even if you won, if you were at Edmonton and you won five in a row, your personal situation would change each and every year, which that would then have you view that victory or that season culminating in a victory differently than the previous ones. So yeah. uh, can I point to one thing? No, I don't know if I can point to one thing. Yeah. 
Well, the other ones you won were down east. So you, here you won one in Winnipeg yeah. where the people have just been dying to, yeah. to, to have mean, that, the chance to let these emotions fly. I that's different. That, yeah. That's different. Yeah. Um, the emotional response of the community is uh, en masse seems different because every team's got their diehard fans that will, you know, you, you can see how emotionally attached they are to the team. But this this one was different than the others uh, because of the sheer numbers and, um, I mean, the length of time that, that uh, it took us to get the job done. I think – you know, as a group, just the satisfaction of being able to get it done. Mm-hmm. You know, are you still hearing about it in the community when you go out? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Where was I yesterday? Yeah, I got stopped uh, twice yesterday, <laughs> whatever, with my daughter, <laughs> and it was good. There's good conversations. Yeah. You know, I think those don't change. There's always good conversations. What do they tell you, basically, how much it meant to them that you that you want it, or they're yeah. congratulating you? Yeah, or? well, just the the team, yeah. obviously, and and you know their their own personal little story. And then a lot of it now is hey, get do it again, get, get your butt back to work, get going. <laughs> you know, we'll come back and talk. You have a new offensive coordinator. We'll come back and talk about Buck Pearson, other things. Mike O'Shea is here. It's the Coach's Show on the Sports Show on 680 CJOB. Bob Irving and Mike O'Shea will take over for the rest of this half hour. Hey, Christian, thank you. And let's start on that note with Mike O'Shea. And again, the phone lines are open at 780-6868, and you can text us at the same number. Uh, U Sports, which is the Canadian University Sport Governing Body, announced today the cancellation of six fall national championships. And part of that is there will be no football, no college football in Canada this year. And Mike has a deep history in in Canadian college football, and he's a Canadian through and through. And that had to be probably not surprising, but uh, not pleasant news for you to hear, Mike. Well, I guess the surprise is that they called it this quickly. I thought they maybe could have waited a little longer, but obviously not. They know they're the decision makers know better. Um, but with a lot of the universities going to online uh, programming um, in the fall, then there's going to be if there's no students on campus, and how can you bring your teams in um, to compete? Although the social distancing pro- thing would be no problem <laughs> yeah. on an empty campus, but I, I do feel just just like when the NBA canceled the season, and there's guys that are in their last year and they don't get to finish out. In in every league, there's those stories of of guys playing their final game and not knowing it because or or didn't get to play their final game. You know, they go to bed going, "Oh, I wonder if we're going to play tomorrow," and they wake up and it's canceled, and they didn't get that last game in. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the same thing. You got my son's at the University of Guelph, and he'll be going into, you know, he'll be missing his third year of football, and so he's got a bit of time to make it up. Right? Um, he can play again, but there's a whole host of his teammates and and guys around the country, and in, in multiple youth sports, the, the situation will be the same on every single team across the country. They're just not going to get to finish out. And then, you know, you have to factor in the the cost of going back to school just to have one more shot. And it's a lot of of sadness around (laughs) youth sports right now, I'm sure. And um, 
they, they've got to figure out a way to um, make good decisions and and come back and play the following year. You know, you talk about uh, athletes not getting a chance to play their senior year or whatever it is, and I'm thinking of guys in the CFL and p- players in your team, Mike, in particular, who are kind of getting on in years, and they're, they're all over the league. They're just not in your team. Andrew Harris is 33 now. Um and if you don't play, and I know you're hoping that you're going to, but if you don't, even if you only play half a season. He'll uh, so. be fresh. Imagine yeah. what he's going to rush for. <laughs> there's the, uh, there's the upside of yards it. yards yeah. in nine games, yeah. but some tearing of these, it up. Some of these guys are going to lose a, a year of their, their legacies. And look, there's nothing any of us can do about it. It just is what it is. God, I hate to use that term. Uh, but it's kind, of, it's kind of too bad, isn't it? That we don't get to see, like Andrew Harris is, for me, he's in Dembski after the great playoff he had. Man, I can't wait to see what he's going to do this year. Yep. Zach Kolaris. Absolutely. Give us a full year, Zach. Let's see what you got. Let's see if you can be the Zach who was maybe the best quarterback in the league a few years ago. All these questions we won't get answered. No. I, th- that, you know, this scenario was obviously uh, very unique, something we've never faced. Mm-hmm. But the idea of guys playing their last or not getting that last opportunity, it's its there every year, as you said. I remember um, I learned very early on my rookie year at Guelph um, and, and losing that last game and then seeing these fourth and fifth year guys, seniors that were not going to be able to come back and were never going to play another game of football again. And it was it's heartbreaking. It made you realize how hard you need to work, especially as a young guy, so that you don't ever disappoint that guy who'll never play again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's important. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we're getting some text messages. Would we be? Would the fans be willing to support a hub city model, watching other CFL teams? For example, if the Argos played the Alouettes at IG Field or at Mosaic Stadium? That's a good question. And I don't know if this Hub City idea, it's certainly been talked about at the league level, whether or not it's got any legs, I don't know at this point. What do you think? Do you think people would come out here if they're allowed to go go to the game, first of all? <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's so many what-ifs. Yeah. Um, and everybody has an opinion on these things, but nobody yeah. knows, right? Yeah. Well, I, you know, as a CFL fan myself, I think if there was a hub city and games that I could go to, I'd be buying a raft of tickets. Yeah. Well, it, it, I think I'd be with you. I'd be so hungry to see some games. I'd love to go watch the Argos play yeah. the Alouettes. All IG. those all those people that stopped me in the street and said they're tired of watching darts or this, that, or that. And I like darts. Axe throwing. Yeah. You know, they're, they're <laughs> tuning into anything they can yeah. get on TV. That would be your opportunity to, to get your fix. Uh, hey, Bob, now that the Bombers have dethroned the Stampeders as Grey Cup champs, can we all stop referring to Calgary as the evil empire? Now, I'm the one who called them the evil empire, and I did it in a way that I wasn't meaning to put them down or be negative. I'm simply saying that they've been so good for so long that they're viewed as the evil empire. The, you know, they're the bullies on the block sort of thing. So, I, Bob, you're a Hall of Famer. I think you can call them whatever you want. No, I will stop calling them the evil empire because they are no longer they are no longer the evil empire. Um, evil, yes. Empire, <laughs> no. 
Hi, Bob and Mike. Uh, since Randy Ambrosi wants to go international, do you think a CFL border league would work along Mexican border and along Canadian border? North Division, add Fargo, Portland, Lansing, Michigan, Halifax, of course, and then El Paso, San Antonio, Austin, Tucson, uh, Mesa, Arizona, six teams across border in Mexico, because adding a team in Halifax ain't going to do much to grow the league. There you go. There's an interesting possibility. I don't know if that has was, any legs uh, either. I was just starting in the league when they expanded to the States. Mm-hmm. So those are some pretty interesting road trips. And um, I, I got to say, I, I didn't really enjoy watching Baltimore win a Grey Cup. No. no. But business model-wise, if there was a solution like that that was going to um, bring profit to the league, I'm sure that they would investigate it. But I, I don't think that's, I honestly don't believe that's the solution. That's not it. Mike O'Shea is here. It's the Coaches Show as part of the Sports Show on 680 CJOB. <laughs> And welcome back to The Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea. That might sound odd to you if you've just tuned in because there has been no football played and there won't be any time soon. But this was the date we were going to start The Coach's Show with Mike O'Shea. And Mike's been good enough to come in and spend an hour with us tonight to talk about a variety of things. Let's go over uh, your roster a bit, Mike, and what it would have looked like in training camp. First, I want to start with Buck Pierce because I said we'd talk about him. Uh, he was or is your new offensive coordinator, and now he's lost his chance to show his chops and I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to get going and uh, I know you feel very positive about uh, the job that Buck will do. Yeah, I think the the other coaches and the players will gravitate towards him. He's got um he's been coaching for for quite some time now. He's he's ready and I'm excited to see him work. I I really enjoy uh listening to him and 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 being around him, he's got a lot of energy and uh, he's sharp. And once again, I think the um, the the players will will enjoy being coached by him. You guys depended so much on the ground game the last couple of years. And I asked him when he was on the air, I said, "Are you going to throw the ball more?" Because quarterbacks like to throw, right? That's what they like to do. He said, "We'll do what is working, and if it's running, it'll be running." So. Uh, fair to say there were going to be no dramatic changes to the way you approach the offense? Well, I think it was anytime you change coaches, there's going to be um, a bit of a style change in terms of each coach is going to have his own sort of um, stamp on, on the offense. But mm. I think obviously both Buck and I like what we've done <laughs> in the past bunch of years. So I don't know if it's going to be a dramatic shift, you know, with our personnel, basically offensive personnel all being back. I'm not sure what there is to really change. There's always little things and parts of plays you fix. And, you know, obviously um, we've watched every, every snap from the previous year, you know, and analyzed it and looked at it to see whether it was successful or not and why or why not. And then you sort of, you know, Buck's in charge of building a plan from there. So I'm excited. There's certainly some things that we can do better. I mentioned Nick Dembski earlier. I thought in the playoffs, I won't say he grew up, but he just, he took it to another level, I thought. Did you, and were you looking for that again this year? 
Yeah, I, I just certainly liked what, what Nick brought in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I like what Nick does all season long, but there was um, – I thought he made good with every every play and every touch he had. He was certainly dynamic. He, he's such a good athlete. It's He's hard to stop. Your offensive line, uh, you got the two tackles, Stanley Bryant or Marcus Hardrick, and then you got all these – all these Canadians to choose from in the middle. Pat Newfeld a, is a given, but uh, then the, the rest of them, Jeff Gray, Speller, uh, Ellie, Desjarlais. Couture. That, uh, Couture, of course. I forgot about him. He was He's your center, right, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, and he's, he's an incumbent center who was injured in the great, uh, during the Great Cup week. Um, there are going to be some tough decisions there, right? Uh, I don't know if that's tough. I mean, I don't, I don't know that... Um, I don't know that you can make it through a season, you know, without a certain number of guys, right? So mm-hmm. uh, they all they all can play. Um, I believe they all like playing here, uh, and they're they're good, smart, tough, tough guys that that play with an edge, which is which is nice to see. So, yeah, that's a pretty darn good group. Great to have that kind of depth there. Yeah. Terrific. So you lost Marcus Sales and Winston Rose in your back end and your secondary on that one side. Who are who are going to be the leading candidates to to be the players there? Yeah, I think that'd be unfair to say. Um, uh, obviously, guys that have a little bit more guys that have some CFL experience or pro experience are going to have an edge simply because uh, they're going to have a better understanding of how how to compete and win a mm-hmm. job. But you know, our our mandate is to load it up over there and roll guys through those spots to see. Uh, not only who the best player is, but who plays the best with the other guys around. So I think um, Ted, Danny, and Ryan have done a great job of making sure uh, there's going to be plenty of competition for those spots. So you lose Drake Nevis to free agency, and I know you're a big fan of his, but you're still pretty strong there on the D-line, right? Absolutely. Um, You know, with the emergence of of Stove, Steve Richardson, uh, Last year, uh, he's just you know, even watching the film this morning. Uh, he made some plays where he just walks the offensive lineman uh, back into the running back and, and makes the tackle. So he is—he certainly doesn't have the experience uh, and some of the leadership that comes with that experience that Drake mm-hmm. would have. But that'll that'll develop in time. I mean, Drake wasn't always that leader either, right? So. Stove is uh, certainly uh, as physical a player as you'll see. And then, obviously, Jake Thomas. Um, he just keeps plugging away and producing. So we'll, uh, we'll be good up front. I think we're all anxious to see what Willie Jefferson was going to do for an encore after being named the outstanding de- defensive player in the league. And Jeffcoat, Jackson Jeffcoat, we had him on a couple of weeks ago, Mike, and he said the one thing he wanted to do this year was not miss games. He felt badly that he hasn't played a full season yet. And he said, I, you know, I want to do that because I think I can really make some noise if I can, if I can play 18 games or however many we, we might get this year. But Jefferson and Jeffcoat, there aren't two better ends in the league, are there? As a tandem, I don't think so. No. They, and it would be, I mean, I do feel for Jackson not being able to put a full season together. And I'm sure, you know, any guy that gets hurt, you, we, we talk about this, how badly they feel um, 
for their teammates, like they're letting them down. But uh, boy, was he! Those two were dynamic in the in the playoff run, and uh, I do think they're going to get better. I think um, Jackson is was born to be an end, obviously, with the legacy of his the history of his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and Willie has morphed into an end, and Willie has got this other sort of playmaking ability, and Jackson has this ability to win no matter what off the edge. So they do bring some different attributes, but together they are they are fierce. You were with Zach Hilaris in Toronto when he was a young quarterback. You watched him come in last year and play a huge role in your winning the Grey Cup. Was the sky the limit for him this year? I believe so. Yeah, I think his his uh, he's a confident guy. He he knows he can play. I think he was the opportunity that we gave him, and and the his professionalism and and the professionalism of the guys around him. Um, I mean, we've got a good football team, and he came in and and led it and made the plays and understood exactly how that was going to unfold. Um, in terms of how his leadership should take hold and uh, what he can ask of players and how quickly he can ask things of players and demand that guys to do things and in his own way. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, when when reporters would ask him questions about, did you ever think this was going to happen? I think one of his answers was, well, when... Winnipeg traded for me. I thought, yeah, this is going to happen <laughs> because he, he. I don't. Despite what everybody else may have said, I don't. He, I don't think he ever lost confidence. I would say. I wouldn't say. I don't think he. He never lost confidence in himself. Right. No, you could. I think you could tell that. Yeah. Right from the first day he, he arrived. Rejuvenated when he got to us. Yeah. Uh, a number of players said. Back to the Grey Cup game. A number of players said on this show in the last two or three weeks that one of the things you said before the Grey Cup game. And you're not a big speech guy. You're not Newt Rockney. Was that <laughs> you were made for this moment? Do you remember that? Well, yeah. Players have said that. And so, yep. tell me what your thought process was behind that that simple little message. Well, I, I guess when you um, witness all the, you know, the everyday uh, grind of of pro football and all the work that these players put in and um, all the experience they had gained and the meetings and the questions they ask and the answers they get and the plays they made and the plays they didn't make and then take into account all the stuff that life brings outside of football into the locker room, that that life brings into the locker room, um, that players get to learn from their peers uh, about. And uh, I do believe that... Um, from the beginning of training camp until uh, before the playoffs um, was just a constant build. It didn't um, didn't happen right away, but I, I do believe that they became a team and it wasn't uh, an instant success, I don't think. I think it took some work from a veteran leadership group mm-hmm. to make sure the young guys understood what it was going to take team-wise. And it seemed to all come together. And just to sit back, I, I do a lot of observing and not a lot of talking. So um, it's what I felt. Mm-hmm. Is the hardest part now the waiting? And yeah, yeah you're getting used to it, I know, but it, it stinks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's nothing you can do to speed it up, is nope. there? Really? Well, where, you know, 
Except fix make those sure, downspouts, right? <laughs> make sure, yeah, no, make sure you're doing the right thing. Yeah. You know, whatever Manitoba Health says and yeah. whatever you're supposed to be doing, make sure you're doing the right things. Yeah. Mike, thanks for coming in tonight and doing this. Appreciate it. Bob, it's always a pleasure. I uh, like being around you. I hope we can talk some football in August when you're in training camp. Let's do it. Yeah, okay.